Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It is now the third day of Christmas. Yeah? Yeah, and the first Sunday of Christmas. So our, our, our Advent time of waiting is over, uh, and now until January 6th, a day known as the Epiphany, uh, which is the commemoration of the Magi visiting Jesus, uh, which kind of serves as the first encounter of the Christ child with the Gentiles, most of us. Uh, we're in Christmas tide, yeah? So we'll have one more Sunday of Merry Christmas. But our challenge, of course, now has, has shifted from anticipation, right, and waiting, which is, again, obviously very hard work, to one of endurance. How long can you leave those Christmas decorations up at your house before you just get sick of them? Already down. See, ours are going to be up until the 6th, yeah, because we're for real about this. Oh, man. But that is why our Christmas tree is still up in the foyer, and it's why our Christ candle is still here on the table in front of us. Uh, the Advent candles, of course, have been removed, but the Christ candle does remain. This reminds us that old things have passed away, and new things have come. Yeah? Yeah. All right, so I'm going to light that for us. May this Christ candle we light symbolize our desire to bring light into a world that is full of darkness and hope a world that is full of despair. There we go. I love candles. So, let's get into our message this morning. <sighs> Alright, first of all, don't judge me. judge me, but I am a crier. I will cry at the drop of a hat, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's like an, actually an Enneagram five thing, right? People talk about how you don't really have much in the way of emotions as a five, but that's not true. What it is, is that we don't really have an emotional buffer or filter. And so everything just feels the same right? Like terror and sadness and joy all feel kind of similar to me. It's weird. <laughs> but I will cry at the drop of a hat. I, I, I kid you not, I even cried a couple of days ago re-watching the trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. I teared up, not even joking. Now, the movie itself turned out to be garbage, but... Uh, the trailer had me all emotional, and I was like, oh, man. I was really looking forward to it. Uh, so with that understanding of me out of the way, uh, there have been two things in my life that when I encounter them, it's almost a foregone conclusion that I will be in tears in pretty short order. And I'm talking here about things like other than looking at pictures of my kids when they were tiny wishing they were still tiny, right? I think we all kind of have that in common. So th the first thing, one of those things, is the song, and again, I told you not to judge me. The first thing 
is the song 1,000 Years by Christina Perry. I can't help it. Anytime I hear that song, tears flow, right? It doesn't really matter where I am. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. Uh, or it doesn't even matter what's on my mind. It's, it's kind of embarrassing, right? So it's even happened at the gym in a squat session. Why is that song coming on at the gym? It doesn't make any sense. But uh, a few weeks back, Kristen and I were eating dinner together on a Friday night at Fish City Grill. And this song, I heard it come on faintly over like the, the PA system, right? I just heard the first few notes. And I looked across the table at Kristen with a blank stare on my face, and I just went, crap. Perplexed, given the obvious lack of logical reason for such a response, she says, what? <laughs> and I keep looking at her a little longer, and then she goes, oh. A few seconds more, now I'm biting my lower lip, and she says, you're trying to fight it, aren't you? And as I gently nod in the affirmative, I break. I can't hold back anymore. And I'm just sitting there in Fish City Grill, just like laughing and smiling at her, and tears are coming out of my face. It's like, this is so annoying. <laughs> it's just completely involuntary. I wish I could control my response to this thing, but so far my efforts have proven unsuccessful. I've even sat there and listened to this song on repeat trying to desensitize myself to it, but it hasn't worked. I just sat there and cried the whole time. Perhaps this is my version of like Paul's thorn in my flesh, yeah? <laughs> so now that you all know one of the most intimate things about me, please do not abuse this power you've been given. I guarantee you she's thinking about it right now. She's nodding yes. So, anyway, the other thing that tends to evoke this response from me uh, is this painting that you'll see on the screen. And I'm going to resist the urge to turn around and look at it. C can you see it? Okay, good. <laughs> All right. This, this, image, this image is called Simeon's Moment. Simeon's Moment. It's a, it's a depiction of the part of the passage that Mr. Steve read for us this morning. In Luke 2, it's, it's titled Simeon's Moment. So it's, it was painted by a fellow named Ron DeCiani. He has a couple of other really awesome images. Uh, I remember the first time I ever saw this painting, though. I was standing in the home office of a man in Russellville named Will Townsend, and I was so captivated by it. Uh, and when Will told me its name, I knew exactly what I was looking at, and I just can't imagine capturing that moment any better than Mr. DeCiani did in that painting. Think about all the levels of woe going on in this image. At some point in his life, God revealed to Simeon that he would not die before seeing with his own eyes the Messiah. The Messiah, right? The promised Savior of Israel who would sit upon the throne of David and whose kingdom would never end. Simeon is going to get to see this long-awaited person. This king that all of Israel had anticipated and waited for for so long. We just spent an entire month talking about this, right? 
But Simeon has promised, hey, you're going to get to see this. And so Simeon waits. He's utterly devoted. And 40 days after Jesus' birth, which was referenced in the passage that we read as well, the time for purification according to the law of Moses, right? His parents, Mary and Joseph, they took baby Jesus to the temple to offer a sacrifice. And prompted by the Spirit, Simeon, Simeon, the Spirit, that word Simeon is messing with my head today. Prompted by the Spirit, Simeon made his way to the temple. And when Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus in, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Simeon's moment, the moment he'd been promised and waited for for so long, had finally come. His time of waiting was over. This is what I imagine that moment looked like. As you gaze at this painting, knowing what you know now, assuming you didn't already, try to put yourself in Simeon's shoes. What do you feel? I imagine there's a fair bit of awe and wonder, but if you linger a little longer and that wears off, what comes next? What do you feel? As he held this tiny, fragile, helpless infant, Simeon's moment was one of pure joy as he was allowed to look into the face of God. Worship team, would you mind coming on back up? Can you imagine holding a baby, knowing the child was the literal hope of the world? That this child was the salvation of all peoples? Can you imagine holding this child and that in him was the fullness of God? That you could pinch God's little arms and legs? That you could hold him close, that you could feel his breathing and his tiny heart beating. You could feel the heartbeat of God, the breath of God, in the most literal way. Saint Simeon, the God receiver. What a name, huh? But what if we could have moments like Simeon? What if we could be so in tune or in sync with the spirit that we immediately recognize presence and work of God around us, whether it's in the form of a tiny child or something just mag- just huge, right? This, I think, is what we can have when, like Simeon, we devote ourselves to the intention and calling of God for our lives. To be and to make disciples, yeah? A lifetime devoted to the formation of our souls to be God receivers ourselves. I feel like I've been kind of a broken record lately talking about joy and discipleship, and honestly, I'm probably not going to stop doing that anytime soon, (laughs) because again, it's the primary thing that we're supposed to be about, right? A few weeks ago, a very close friend asked me, How do we get this started? What will it take to finally awaken ourselves to the call of discipleship? 
And I'm going to take a stab at answering this question for you today and maybe the next couple of weeks as well. And I hope that you'll listen closely. I pray you will hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. So I want to start this portion of our time together with a question. You ready? What is your vision and plan for the formation of your soul? Maybe you're like, LOL what? Which is kind of the point, right? We have visions and plans for everything we care about in life. Even if we've never taken the time to write them down, we've kind of got it in our head, right? Kind of this picture of what we're after, maybe even a plan, a couple of steps that we're going to take. We even have visions for things in our lives that we sometimes would rather not even do. And yet, when confronted with this question about our spiritual formation or discipleship, it sounds like I'm asking the wrong kind of question, doesn't it? Isn't that weird? But take a look at some of these phrases from the New Testament that define life in the kingdom of God, made possible again by a tiny baby, God with us, Emmanuel. Number one, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. To be filled with all the fullness of God. Power at work within us. Able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask for or imagine. Rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. Genuine mutual love pouring from their hearts. Without malice, guile, insincerity, envy, or slander. Anxious for nothing. And those are just from like two passages. It sounds so good, you can almost taste it. And the, and the Bible presents these and a host of other things, of course, as transformative qualities that are genuinely possible for life in the kingdom, for your life. And I think we all truly desire to have these things in our lives. We read them, we reflect on them, and we wish they described our lives. Right? So I think if we're honest, at the same time we have this wish, most of us hear these words and immediately we feel what? Discouraged. Because it sounds so unlike what we know from our own experiences, whether in ourselves or from other people, especially other Christians. Over and over, these ideas are presented in the scriptures, and instead of, instead of seeing them as opportunities and possibilities, we see them as ideals that no one ever really realizes, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Well, that sounds lovely, but 
But what? But what? Why shouldn't these sorts of statements, these kingdom realities, why shouldn't these things define our lives? Why can't we have them? You may have heard the idea that the difference between a dream and a goal or a vision is a plan. Yeah? And I think this lies at the root of our predicament here. We can see the hopeful reality. We have the vision for it. We really do hope for it. But these things do not come about in your life mysteriously or magically. So I ask again, what is your plan for the formation of your soul? Speaking of spiritual gifts in worship services, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, says this, God is not a God of disorder. And the same is true for our spiritual formation. It is an orderly process. Your spiritual growth and formation will not just happen to you. without you paying attention to it. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke of this process, this spiritual life being one of cooperative transformation. Remember that? And while God can certainly triumph in disorder, how much better do you think it would be or could be if we actually humbled ourselves and accepted the ways that God has chosen to work within us and transform us might be more effective. <laughs> what if there were a plan to enable the, this wish for the spiritual kind of life, this kingdom life, uh, to make that a wish into a goal, right? What if there was a way we could actually come to live these kingdom realities, these genuine transformative possibilities what if we could actually have that peculiar and very different sort of life the New Testament describes? Again, I think we all want it. Philippians 4.9 says this, Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What are those things? Now, I want to be clear about something. Spiritual formation is not trying to be good, okay? It is not something that you can even do directly to yourself or to someone else. Well, then what am I supposed to do? I believe you when you say that you have tried. I've tried. I've done this. I've done that. I read my Bible and I pray, right? But this is not something that can be accomplished through willpower. Willpower. Trying this way only results in you beating yourself up when you fail to act like Jesus and ultimately giving up. It's kind of abusive to yourself, honestly, doing it that way. In Matthew 11, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Spiritual formation, true discipleship, is the way of rest for the weary and the burdened. But PZ, what you're saying sounds kind of hard and cumbersome. And if you think that, it's only because you haven't really understood what I'm trying to tell you yet. There's a scene in The Matrix, another nerdy pop culture reference, when Neo asks Morpheus, you're telling me I'll be able to dodge bullets? Morpheus says, no, Neo. I'm telling you that when you're ready, you won't have to. I give me goosebumps. The kingdom life is like that. You mean to tell me I'm going to have to love my enemies? No, my friend. I'm telling you that when you've taken love into the depths of your being, loving your enemies will be the only logical and sensical thing you can think to do. That, my friends, is the difference. Again, our formation is not about doing, but about being. It is about becoming the kinds of people for whom there is no other way. Yeah? I think that's enough for today, so I'm going to stop there. There's two or three more aspects of this that we're going to get into in the weeks ahead, but if what I've said so far already has kind of piqued your curiosity your hunger for more, I want to invite you to sign up for something that will start probably towards the end of January. Uh, We're going to call it an apprenticeship group. I've been talking a lot about discipleship and apprenticeship. We're going to call these apprenticeship groups, or you can call it a formation group if you prefer one less syllable. Uh, But when I first began planning for these groups, my original intent was to only offer this class to one group of people, maybe 10 to 15 people. Uh, But if enough of you guys show interest in this, uh, I'm going to do more of them. These groups, it'll last about 30 weeks. It's a big commitment. There'll be some breaks along the way for holidays and such. Uh, There will be a cost for materials, just books and and uh, it's three books actually, uh, and childcare here if you need that. Uh, but again, big commitment, 30 weeks, not for the faint of heart. But I am I'm really, really excited to get these groups started. I've been thinking about them a lot for the last few months. And uh, honestly, I'm just really excited to see what God does through them what God births into our community here at Grace Church and what is birthed into our larger community through Grace Church as a result of these classes. When we devote ourselves to each other and to learning to think, act, and be like Jesus. I just, I can't help but wonder like what dreams and ideas God will begin to flood into the people who do these things. So if you're ready to commit to that now, uh, 
please, you can open your church center app, hit groups, and just kind of go from there. It's pretty self-explanatory at that point. But if that's too high tech for you, just grab me after service today or sometime before we start. Uh, and Or shoot me a text or whatever. We'll get you squared away. Cool? All right. Let's pray.